Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next 30 minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay tuned. 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, some education, and as you have heard me say many times, no manipulation. That's right, no hidden gimmicks, no hidden agendas. We're not trying to raise money. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you to fess up anything. It's just 30 minutes of motivation from the Word of God hopefully to help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. You have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan if you can do that. And I'm sure if I give you accurate information and you are intelligent enough to discern the information and make the application into your life. So please listen. Please stay with me. The flight line is heard every Sunday on this radio station. And uh, we do it for one reason and one reason only. For you. That's why this show is here for you. I've trusted God for five years to provide the finances necessary to keep this on the air, and he does it for you. That's why God lets us have this radio show. Not for me. I don't enjoy hearing myself talk, but for you so that you can learn, be motivated, educated, and hopefully be inspired to keep growing and keep advancing in your Christian life way beyond what I can teach you. I mean getting under the ministry of a qualified pastor listening to a man who knows the Word of God and stands in a local church and teaches consistently week after week, month after month, year after year, and and some men that I know have been teaching in their churches 30, 35, 40 years. My own pastor taught in his church 53 years. Learning under a qualified pastor, sitting under someone who is qualified is an incredible thing, but you know everyone can't do that. Everyone doesn't have someone like that in their city, so What do you do? You do exactly what I did. You order the MP3s or the the, the DVDs or the CDs, and you listen at home. You have what's called home church, just like you had what's called home school, home church. You say, well, how can you do that? Doesn't the Bible say where two or three are gathered together, there I'll be in your midst? Don't you understand that this is what they did in the New Testament? They had home church. We've gotten into the routine of going to a large, organized place, and and that's fine. I have no problem with that as long as the Word of God is taught and honored. But if it's programs, if it's gimmicks, then you're wasting your time. If it's an appeal to your motion every Sunday, you're wasting your time. I have spoken in places like this where they would have the first 45 minutes of the hour that we were going to be there, the first 45 minutes were programs, singing and, and all the other stuff that went with it. And when it finally got around time for the message, I had like 15 or 20 minutes. There's not much you can say in 15 or 20 minutes, but except some smart Alex is going to tell you, well, if you're any good, you can get it into 15 or 20 minutes. Well, try taking a trip and see how far you can get in 15 or 20 minutes. You're not going to get across town. And teaching the Word of God, if the Word of God doesn't take precedence in church on Sunday, if it doesn't take more time to teach the Word of God than it does to sing some songs and and do all the other stuff they do, you're in the wrong place. 
You need to find where you can learn God's Word. And therefore, I'm telling you, there are places just like that. Places where you can order the DVDs or the MP3s or the CDs, and you can home church. Take your Bible, take your notebook, and sit there and learn until God shows you a place that you can go, until God reveals to you what's in your area where you can sit under a qualified pastor. I told, told you about two shows ago that I'm working on a book called A Divine Pardon. And this book is written for those men and women across America who are incarcerated. We're in the process of editing the book and going through and uh, getting all the corrections made before we would print it and then distribute it to the various ministers that we know who go in to our nation's prison system and minister to these men and women. And I was talking to you a little bit about what's in this book, going through some of the information that's in this book with you. And last week when I was with you, we talked about sin, and we talked about rebound, and we talked about the three different types of sin. And today I want to pick this up and move this on here on the flight line. You should know, you should understand the 10 unique problem-solving devices. We've been over it enough times. You should be able to tell me problem-solving device number one is rebound. Problem-solving device number two is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Problem-solving device number three is a faith rest drill. Problem-solving device number four is grace orientation and doctrinal orientation and a personal sense of destiny and personal love for God, impersonal love for others, sharing the happiness of God and occupation with Christ. Those are the ten unique problem-solving devices. And we will go over them from time to time here on this radio show. And if you never were able to acquire the book, remember that we have a book free of charge. We will send you, never send you anything else. But if you want that, it's free. But we don't solicit anything. That book is called Christian Problem Solving. And we'll be more than happy to send you a copy of it if you'll write to us at Post Office Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama. And our zip code in Cropwell, Alabama is 35054. 35054. Or you can go to the internet, contact us through the World Wide Web, simply going to www.rickhughesministries.org. You can email us from there and you can say, send me a copy of that book, Christian Problem Solving. While you're there, you can look at our website and see the other books that are available things that you can take advantage of as well, if you'd like. No charge ever for anything. Now, I want to go on a little bit today talking about rebound. Remember this. When you fail to admit your sin to your Heavenly Father, when you fail to rebound, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you sin, whether mental attitude or whether it's an overt sin or sin of the tongue, when you sin, you must rebound because you've quenched the Holy Spirit. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. And if you don't rebound, if you stay out of fellowship, if you stay under control of your sin nature and live in the flesh and become carnal, then it leads to further action by the Heavenly Father. I've already told you that there are earthly consequences to sin. And by that I mean that once you believed in Jesus Christ, you're no longer liable for your sins in eternity. That's gone. 
the divine pardon has been applied to you. But these sins have earthly consequences, and we call them divine discipline. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 5.22. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, and the cords of his sin hold him fast. When God has to discipline you, the only reason he does it is to get your attention. And he can do it in many different ways, I promise you. But the purpose, the reason, is always to wake us up. Always to get us to name our sins to him and get back into his plan. Once we've rebounded, the punishment may even continue. But the purpose then would come blessing rather than discipline. You see, some people make the mistake, the mistake of thinking that suffering is for discipline only. And that is not correct. If you read 2 Corinthians 12, you will see where Paul was suffering. And he asked God three times to take away the, quote, thorn in his flesh. And God wouldn't do it. He said, my grace is sufficient. Sometimes we suffer for blessing. But here's what you may have to remember in Lamentations 331. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. That's true. And so when you're going through these things, this is God dealing with you because he loves you. And when we break fellowship with God by means of personal sin and we don't recover through rebound, then we're going to subject ourselves to his discipline. As it says in Hebrews 12:6, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son that he receives. Let me try to make that a little more modern for you. Here, let me put it in an expanded translation that says this. Because the Lord loves you, he has to discipline you. If you read on in Hebrews 12, 7, you will find these words. Endure the discipline. Because God corrects you as a father would correct his children. Here's the principle. you got to remember this. God doesn't put discipline on us because he's mad at us. He puts discipline on us because we're about to destroy ourselves. And unless he stepped in, we would self-destruct. We would be on the road to self-destruction. You should read the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. You will find the story of a young man who deserted his father. He believed that he could do better on his own. And he went off down that proverbial my way highway. That young man lost everything and just about lost his life. But it was because of his intense suffering from hunger and deprivation that he finally admitted his sin and went home to his father. He had an attitude adjustment. He went from arrogance to humility. He even expected to be demoted to the rank of a slave. But much to his surprise, his father reinstated him to the rank of a privileged son. That prodigal son is very similar to us when we break fellowship with God because of our rebellion and because of our sin. Our discipline, the misery we put ourselves through, can be intense, but it's always designed to bring humility into our life and to cause us to confess our sin to God. Only then can we resume our spiritual lives. Now, when I'm talking about discipline, I want you to know there are three types of discipline. It comes in three different stages. 
warning discipline. And this usually comes in the form of a visual or a verbal warning. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit will use something said or something written to get your attention, to make you focus on yourself. If that doesn't do it, if you don't rebound, then God can initiate the next stage. The next stage can be intense discipline. And this is when the Lord has to apply some pain to get your attention. It's much like a father taking his son to the woodshed for a little one-on-one time. I remember when I was in high school, we had a boys counselor and he was a retired semi-pro baseball player. And uh, he had a shaved off baseball bat and he uh, would take a swing at us every now and then as we bent over the bed and it corrected our errant ways, I assure you. He would always say, now can you go back to class and behave? And I would always say, yes, sir. If the woodshed approached by God doesn't work, then the final stage can kick in. Proverbs 15.10, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction shall die. When God steps in and puts us under divine discipline, we can do two things. You can react to that, or you can respond to it. Respond means to admit your sin, and in humility, rebound. React means to let your arrogance flare up and to blame it on anybody but yourself. Therefore, the discipline doesn't do you any good because you don't see what it's about. And then you get angry with God, and you think it's unfair that God allowed this to happen to you. The person with this sort of arrogance will always react Always blame his suffering on another or even on God. He'll even play the victim card. The person with humility will respond, admit his sin, admit his failure. So you can see you can shorten your own life by continuing down the my way highway, making one bad decision after the next and failing to rebound and get back in fellowship. So at some point, the Lord's going to have no choice but to remove us from this life to bring us home to heaven before we destroy ourselves and others with us. And he does this as he does all things for his own good. What I'm telling you is that God takes some people out, Christians, Christians that are beyond repair, Christians who have believed in Jesus Christ but have reverted to their old ways and begin to act like an unbeliever, and no discipline can correct them. And in that case, you can read about it in 1 John 5, God calls them home. They go to heaven. They don't go to hell because they have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. But they will be in heaven way too soon, and they will be in heaven minus any rewards. So while the Lord has to discipline us at times in order to get our attention, it's also true that a lot of those hardships we face And a lot of the suffering we're going to go through is our own responsibility. You know, there's something called the law of volitional responsibility. I want to say that again, volitional responsibility. That means that we cause much of our own misery and much of our own suffering. I mean, it's real easy to blame your parents, blame your circumstances, blame your environment for the difficulties that's in our life, but that's simply wrong thinking. 
Getting a raw deal in life does not justify me or you being bitter. Every human being must take full responsibility for their own decisions, their own actions. We are problem manufacturing machines. Believe that. We are problem manufacturing machines. Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever man sows, this he will also reap. Hosea 8, 7. They sow to the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And Colossians 3, 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. God does not show favoritism. So you see, God has established some guidelines, some things to keep our volition in check. He's provided laws as well as a system of authority to enforce the laws. Now, this is where it's going to get kind of tough. So listen, the Bible teaches the concept of authority. Listen to Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. Romans 13, 1 and 2. God himself gave us laws in order to protect our freedom and our privacy, and all authority comes from God and must therefore be obeyed. We are also told in this passage that if we resist authority, we're resisting the laws of God. So those in authority are all branches of the judicial system in this country, including police officers, state troopers, marshals, immigration officers, judges, even institutional guards. Each one of these individuals has the power to arrest or to convict anyone who breaks the laws of the land. You see, sometimes these individuals are not always fair. They're not always objective. Sometimes they may use their power to abuse you or pick on you. What do you do in that situation? You turn it over to the Supreme Court of Heaven. The Supreme Court of Heaven is open 24 hours a day. Justice is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And if you're a child of God and you're under unfair authority, just go to the Father with it. Put it in your Father's hands using the faith, rest, drill, problem-solving device number three, and let the Lord handle it. If you want to read about somebody treated unfairly, read about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Read about his time in prison and what he had to deal with when he was accused of rape and he didn't even touch the woman. It's all there in the book of Genesis. Just look up Joseph and you can read it for yourself. Authority may be fair. You may be driving down the highway and a trooper has got a radar and he's going to catch you if you're speeding. If you obey the law and drive the speed limit, you don't have to worry about that. If you're speeding and you get caught, you're going to pay a fine, aren't you? So you may drive off and you may curse that trooper, the one who just simply enforced the law because you feel he treated you unfairly. That type of reaction usually indicates an arrogance, an arrogant person who cannot handle authority. One of my dear friends is a Marine police officer. 
She's a female. And I'll have lunch with her on occasion at the restaurant and and just one of the most wonderful people you could ever meet. And yet I've heard friends of mine who fish and who boat on the lake that I live tell me about that mean woman, that mean police woman, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they don't even know who she is. They just don't like the authority. When you have people like that, they're maladjusted to society. On one hand, a person with humility might like the, might not like the idea of having to pay a big fine for speeding, but they respect the police officer. They swallow their medicine. They don't complain, and they might even thank the officer for reminding them to slow down. Now, listen. Let me describe the opposing attitudes of arrogance and humility. And let me use some Bible passages to help you understand the difference. See, the dictionary defines arrogance as a feeling of superiority manifested in an overbearing manner. A Merriam-Webster New Collegiate Dictionary talks about that. On the other hand, on page 557 of that same dictionary, Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, it defines humility as the quality or state of being humble. The distinction is very important in the Christian's life because the attitude of our Savior was one of humility, not weakness, humility, meaning respect for authority, obedience to the laws, and no arrogant attitude. So, the attitude of the old sin nature, even when it tries to be good, can be based on arrogance. I hope you understand this. I'll try to explain it better. See, arrogance is a sin that motivates us to commit many additional sins. If you have the mental attitude sin of arrogance, it'll corrupt everything you do and say. And it's a sure sign that your sin nature is controlling you. Uncontrolled arrogance can even distract you from your Christian life. It can divorce you from reality and destroy any capacity you could have had as far as love or happiness goes. Because arrogance will reject authority every time. Arrogance will motivate emotional sins like hatred, anger, self-pity, jealousy, violence, and even murder. I know there are reasons to be angry sometimes that are justified. That's not related to the arrogant attitude I'm talking about. When a person is infected with unrestrained arrogance, he's not able to think. And often, with his unrestrained arrogance, he may harm others as well as himself. You know, Adam, the Bible says Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore him a son named Cain. And this is what Adam said. I've acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore him another one, a son named Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but... Cain was a farmer. He was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, these two brothers had a conflict. See, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel, since he wasn't a farmer, brought the firstborn of his sheep. And the Lord respected the offering of Abel, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And so Cain got very, very angry about it. And you see, one of them represented Jesus Christ, the lamb without spot and without blemish. The one the Bible says 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. When Christ shed his blood for us, when he died on the cross, this sheep, this lamb that Abel brought was a picture of Christ. But the fruit of the land, the vegetables and whatever this guy Cain grew, was another man trying to earn his own salvation, trying to prove to God that he was acceptable. And so the Lord said to Cain, what are you angry about? Why is your countenance fallen? In other words, why you got such a long face? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And it is desire, excuse me, and the desire of sin for you, but you should rule over it. In other words, its desire is to rule you, but you should rule over it. That's what sin wants to do. Sin wants to rule you. Your sin nature wants to control you. But it didn't happen that way. See, Cain went and talked with his brother Abel, and the Bible says it came to pass within the field, Cain killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And this is what Cain said. Listen to this attitude. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Genesis 4, 1 through 10. You have read for yourself how Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous of the attention that God showed him. Cain reacted to God's rejection of his offering and took out his bitterness and his jealousy on his brother. That's why arrogance has to be controlled before it motivates revenge. Because if this sin of arrogance causes you to do dumb things, remember what the scripture says about it. In Proverbs 6.16, there are seven things the Lord hates. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill people, a mind devising wicked plans, feet that are quick to do wrong, a dishonest witness speaking out lies, and a person who spreads conflict among relatives. As I read on in the Bible in Proverbs 11, 2, and 3, arrogance comes and then comes shame, but wisdom remains with the humble people. Integrity guides decent people, but hypocrisy leads treacherous people to ruin. A stubborn fool, Proverbs 12, 15. A stubborn fool considers his own way the right way, but a person who listens to advice is wise. When a stubborn fool is irritated, he shows it immediately, but a sensible person hides the insult. There's a lot more to say about arrogance and the three different stages of arrogance, and I want to cover that with you next week if you'll come back because this is something that's seldom talked about in churches. You'll hear people talking about don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't dance. Rarely will you hear a pastor talk about the sin of arrogance. So hang with me. Keep listening. Keep learning. Keep growing. Until next week. This is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for being with me on The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 
888-345-3504 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.